you're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I kind of feel like uh, the Ohio State Northwestern game is almost an afterthought after what happened yesterday. Like, I almost kind of feel tempted to start with, you know, Michigan and Penn State and then Wisconsin, Illinois, and work our way back to Ohio State. I don't know. What do you guys think? We can do it either way, either which way. I mean, we can, you know, that's, that's fine. Okay. Um, it, well, Matt, you and I started talking about it before we started recording. We were talking about Michigan, Penn State. And why don't you tell me a little bit about what you saw in that game? Well, I mean, it's, I think that was a weird day in terms of whiskey losing in such a dramatic fashion. I mean, you know, there were brilliant people all over the world who thought they would go past 10 points spread on beating uh, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, but there were more brilliant people out there. yes yes. they do consider themselves brilliant um so anyhow you know that you know you were shaking your head at the whole thing because you know it's optics of as an ohio state fan you want whiskey to come in looking as strong and virile as possible in terms of national perception right uh so i was like taken aback by that uh, but also, but you know, the, the Penn State Michigan game. Uh, while Michigan, both teams are just, you know, the Swiss cheese teams. You just got holes of plenty through them. <laughs> um, but I think perception-wise, and given how the game played out, having Michigan keeping getting close enough really made that uh, make them earn the, their rank to where the perception of them nationally is like, well, they're not that bad. They almost beat Penn State on an away game. You know, they've won their last so, so games, and if they finish out winning their games before they play us, you know, it could cover the amount of weight that we lost with Whiskey uh, uh, losing to an unranked team. Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah. you know, it, you know I, I just, the comfort of all this, if I could wrap it around Ohio State, is like Ohio State, I just think is just going to, roll through anything call anything that lives under the big Ten. I think they're just going to roll over them. So it really doesn't to me that that as a Buckeye fan, if they keep beating them that way, it really doesn't matter where people are ranked because they're doing what everyone perceives them to be a great team should do. They're just kicking ass and taking names. And if that continues, then, you know, we write our ticket to the playoffs. Yeah. Chad, what did you see in that Penn state Michigan game that stood out to you? (laughs) <laughs> it's just, it's, it's crazy, man. I, I just, I feel like, you know, you saw the first quarter, like he was still playing, you know, running that archaic offense. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get down 21 to out and they start passing to the receivers, they, which was opening up the running game. And like, I just don't understand, you know, why you bring that guy over from Alabama and you're still running that bullshit. And then you get down 21 <laughs> nothing. 
Sorry about that. Johnny Cash is freaking out, boys. <laughs> yeah, beat it, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't understand the whole the whole deal with it, but, you know, whatever. I mean, Penn State, Franklin, they, they were, like, one thing I will say about that game, though, and I, I think you mentioned it in the thread last night, V is, like, they, they were celebrating that like it was like the Big Ten championship, like they were going to the college football playoff. I mean, Jesus. They beat up on like a weak-ass Michigan team, yeah. and the people were running to the field, you know, Franklin saying, oh, we've, got, we've been playing championship football all year. Like, what the fuck, dude, are you talking about, yeah. man? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you beat a team you were favored to beat by what, 10 points? You were a 10-point favorite yeah, going in the 10 game? Points. And you're celebrating <laughs> like you just won, you know, like you just won the Super Bowl. I, that stood out exactly. to me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, crazy. Crazy. Anything else stand out to you about the game that you wanted to mention? Not, not really, man. I, I mean, you know, Penn State. That uh, I don't. I'm not quite sure what his name is. Number eleven, but he was in on it. See, Mike every tackle. Micah Parsons. Yeah, Parsons. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh boy, a Buckeye recruit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's a beast, but. Uh, you know, I'm not really worried about that. The, either one of those teams, like Sloaner said, to allude to that. But uh, you know, I think Wisconsin next weekend is going to come in with a little bit more of a, a chip on their shoulder. But we'll save that for later down the road. But, yeah, yeah, you could be right about that, Tim. What did you see last night in that Penn State Michigan game that kind of stood out to you? Well, I mean, I think for me, I uh, I just I feel like Penn State is a high quality, very good Big Ten team. Michigan has obviously lots of problems, and maybe they're getting a little bit better, but they're they're not even one of the best Big Ten teams, and and that's kind of what I feel like I saw. I mean, I think Penn State got out to a that early lead, and Michigan just seemed lost in the whole first half. Mm-hmm. And you know, at this point in the season, to be that lost, and Patterson didn't look good. And give credit to Penn State's defense; I thought they played really pretty well in the first quarter. And yeah, Parsons was all over the field. Um, but I, I just looking at the box scores and looking at the stats, like Sean Clifford, 14 of 25, 182 yards. Like it wasn't anything great. Um, Shea Patterson, 24 for 41, 276 and a pick. Um, you know, he just, he, he didn't look good till the second half. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I think that they're both decent teams. I think Penn state's better than Michigan. Um, I think they've, they've got better coaching. That's part of the reason they're better than Michigan. But uh, I, I think Penn State's a very good Big Ten team. I think Ohio State is another level from either of these teams. And I think they're going to demonstrate that when they play both of them. And Ohio State is a national contender, whereas like these two, along with Wisconsin, are like vying for like winning the Big Ten, and that's it. And I think that's the difference. And I think we'll see it when we play both of these teams. I just was unimpressed with both teams, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think either team put together a four-quarter performance. And clearly Michigan seemed overwhelmed and unprepared by the environment. As you could see, uh, you know, Michigan comes out for their first possession, the first play from scrimmage, and Harbaugh has to call a goddamn timeout to avoid getting a, a delay a game penalty. And, and, you know, there were other moments in that game where they just, <laughs> I mean, they, there were other moments in that game where they just looked, Michigan just looked unprepared for the moment, uh, you know, whether it be penalties, whether it be mental mistakes, uh, just lack of execution. There, there does seem to be a, tr- a, a, a trend here with this team, dreadfully slow starts, untimely mistakes, where it'd be turnovers, penalties, and a lack of execution in big moments. 
I mean, a, as evidenced by, you know, Ronnie Bell dropping a ball that hit him right in the belly on fourth down in the end zone uh, that, that effectively ended the game. And, you know, I feel bad for that kid. He actually played very well. But, um, but you know, it, it didn't surprise me that that's how Michigan went down in this game. Just a, a mental mistake, a lack of execution. It's weird. You look at the box score, Tim, kind of going back to your comments about it. Michigan outgained Penn State 417 to 283. They dominated time of possession, 3745 to 2215. They had a, a, a 26-14 edge in first downs. I mean, after that first quarter or so, they really dominated the game. Um, but they just had a series of untimely breakdowns, whether it be, you know, uh, they, they let uh, that tailback from Penn State. I, 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 his name's, I'm blanking on his name, but he ripped off a 44-yard run. I think that's to set up their second touchdown of the game. And I remember Fowler distinctly saying uh, that that running back had come into the game averaging 2.1 yards per carry. And he rips off a 44-yarder right up the gut. And then you had later in the in the second half, it was really Penn, it was Penn State's only points in the second half was the the blown coverage on Ham on Hamler for the fifty three yard touchdown, and Michigan, yeah, that's to me that's kind of how they've they've played all season long. They have these a series of breakdowns, and then they play well, but the breakdowns uh, are so damaging that they can't recover from them, and and I think that's kind of how this game played out. And I and I am with you. Uh, these two teams look like uh, they're several echelons below. Ohio State. Yeah, they're uh, December football teams, meaning they're looking for the blue bonnet ball or the sunsweet ball, <laughs> and sh- and things and things that happen before j- January or before January second. <laughs> you you just can see, but you know, to Tim's point, man, it's it's like you can't build a strong house off a weak foundation, and I think that you see a team that the the play like there was a spat there, there was a penalty like every third or fourth play. Yeah. And that and that's always to me like a sign that you're not getting strong coaching and discipline because, you know, penalties are the things that tear teams down and great coaches get their team to focus on the, the small things because you get the small things right you can have big things happen on the other end so totally uh, yeah it's it's annoying I totally agree with you on that point actually Matt and it brings me to a sequence in the game that I. I remembered, and then I went back and watched it this morning on the replay with respect to penalties in Michigan, just lack of discipline. So on, on Penn State's second touchdown drive of the game, they were in the red zone. Michigan Michigan committed back-to-back offside penalties that, that moved Penn State closer to the, you know, obviously closer to the goal line. Penn State eventually punches it in. Then on the ensuing Michigan possession, a 45-yard completion to Nico Collins is wiped off the board by an ineligible uh, man downfield penalty. Uh, and then two plays later, Patterson throws a terrible interception on a on a botched screen play, and it's the sequences like that that we've seen all season long. Whether it was just a series of mental mistakes, and uh, there was also a an, an ineligible man downfield uh, on Michigan's first touch, so they ended up scoring. But it was that play where yeah. the ball got popped up in the air. Uh, Peoples Jones got hit, and then uh, I think that kid uh, Ronnie Bell grabbed it out of the air, ran in for a touchdown. But it got called back because it was another ineligible man downfield penalty. That to me speaks to an offensive line that isn't yet used to blocking in the RPO system. Because I think on both of those plays, they might have been RPOs, and you had a guy blocking downfield thinking that Shea Patterson was keeping the ball or that he handed it off to a running back. And instead, he threw a pass, but the offensive line was so far downfield, he gets flagged. In any case, it's, it's a tragic comedy of, of mental mistakes. Chad, you were going to make a point? Go ahead. 
just I was just going to say, yeah, that was just, I mean, one of the typical plays. Like, I mean, you know, it takes the crowd out of it for like two minutes, you know, and then all of a sudden there's a flag and then they get, get the ball taken back. And then it, it creates that. I don't even think they scored a touchdown on that uh, like drive, did they? But I, th- I think, yeah, they ultimately did on the one on the carom that was called before a touchdown. I think that was Michigan's first touchdown drive. They, they ended up punching it in. But it was just, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're on the road. They're very, they're, they're not a very disciplined team, if you will. No, no. I just, I mean, this team reminds me of some of the Cooper teams. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, like that, like I remember the the 2000 Ohio State team that finished. Well, it was Cooper's last year. They finished like eight and four that year, and you know they had plenty of talent, but they were just undisciplined. They had these mental breakdowns at the worst times, and you know just shot themselves in the foot. He had a couple other teams like that where the talent was clearly there. He didn't have the quarterback play, and the team was just undisciplined, and uh, it drives me nuts. Anyway. That's Michigan. So well, I'm, I mean, I, I think the other thing about Michigan, Zach, is is that you know do they do they really have the talent? Because they they have not been they've been recruiting some good spots like wide receiver, but they have not had top two, top three recruiting class classes. Every once in a while, they'll have a top five. So you you kind of have okay talent with not good coaching. And then I think it was Urban Meyer that made this point last week, and I think I might have mentioned it on the pod, that, hey, look, you can, trans- you can transform your offense to be a spread offense with RPO and all these different options, but if you don't have the personnel, meaning the offensive line and the skill players who know what they're supposed to do and a quarterback who's used to running that, it's going to take you, you know, several recruiting cycles to get the team that you need in order to effectively run that offense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing out of Michigan is just, you know, Gaddis is there, and it's unclear whether or not he's truly being given free reign to call the plays because the play calling in the first half was abominable. <laughs> and, you know, are, are, are they really making progress towards that goal, or is the whole thing just muddled because Harbaugh can't let it go and they don't have the players, and, you know, this is going to be a lost season of them trying to transition to something different. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, they've got Notre Dame at home, then they've got Michigan State, which will always be tough, and they've got Ohio State, uh, that that's probably three more losses. So they could be right. they could be seven and five. Yeah, yeah. I think they have a trip to Indiana somewhere in there too. And Indiana's been kind of a thorn in their side. Uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> you know, you know. Funny thing is, like, to, to your point, Tim, is that maybe they're just not good at talent evaluation. I mean, you see the Gaddis interview. He just got him on the phone for five minutes. Like, yeah, let's hire this guy. Like, are they doing the due diligence on all the players that they're recruiting because they don't. I don't think they've been bad in terms of, you know, five stars, four stars, in, in terms of the, where they ranked in the thing. But they just may not getting the players that are going to make a difference, what system they're running or whatever they're doing. I and maybe they're evaluating people who just aren't. Maybe they're overrated. I don't know. I yeah, just think yeah. that I, I, you know, I put a lot of you know suspect in anything that Harbaugh does because it doesn't seem like he does the due diligence. It's all from the gut. And yeah. that's good to a certain point, but you need to have something a little deeper than that to, to compete on the, the elite level, at least. I think that's totally on the table, actually. I, I think the idea yep. that they're not evaluating talent properly, they're not developing talent properly, I think that's totally on the table. And then, you know, then you have the game, the game day situational stuff that is, has been highly questionable. Um, but you know what's interesting is Michigan then went on as we're, we're, we're you know we're breaking down the, the myriad of, of issues that Michigan has. 
But then they went on to dominate the second half of that game. And it, which, which makes me question, okay, then what, what is Penn State? Now, Penn State hung on and won that game, but the fact that Michigan was able to get the running game going, they were able to start hitting plays downfield, their defense completely stymied Penn State's offense, save for one play, and that was the deep ball to Hamler. That was a big one, though. That was a big breakdown, granted. I mean, that was the difference in the game. But So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I go back to, well, I think we've already made the point. The point is, is that these are two teams that are several notches below Ohio State, and, and I don't think Penn State... Uh, I, I'm, I'm far less concerned now, I guess, about that game in Columbus uh, than I was going into last night. What did you? Yeah, be- agreed. Yeah, uh, what did what did you see out of Penn State, uh, t- Tim? I, you were going to make some. Were you going to make another point about Penn State? No, no. Okay. I mean, I look. I think Penn State's a good team. I think they're probably the second best team in the Big Ten. But I think there's a big delta between Ohio State and Penn State still. Yeah. 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 I agree. I would agree and with I, that. I think the, like, the coaches, the coaching staff we have now, which I think I've said a few times, I mean, you know, even if they did plug up the, the, the holes with J.K. And, and Teague or whomever, I mean, I think we've got the, the talent to make the adjustments accordingly for the receivers. I mean, that, yeah, I just don't see that anybody containing this offense that I've seen play thus far. Yeah, yeah. Well, so there was another result, actually a much bigger, uh, impactful result, I think, at, at this stage. Uh, which was the Wisconsin-Illinois game. And uh, I, I think we all saw bits and pieces of that. But Wisconsin went into that game, into Champaign yesterday, a 30-and-a-half-point th- favorite, if I'm not mistaken. Chad, do I have that right? Was it 30-and-a-half the line? I, th- I, think, I think that I was I think right. it actually, some of them had it at 31. 31. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my God. And, you know, right, Illinois had started, they had shown signs of life earlier this year. They gave Nebraska a pretty good game earlier in the year. They they had the big comeback against Michigan, you know, down down 28, scoring 25 unanswered. So I don't think they're, that they're not the same completely punchless team that, that we've seen for the last five or six years. But still, you're Wisconsin, you're a 31-point favorite, you're... you're you know, you're the number one statistically, and I'm going to say this in air quotes, the number one defense in the country. And, um, you know, you outgain Illinois 420 to 315, time of possession, dominated it 40, 49 to 1911 in time of possession. Um, but yeah, I, Illinois kept it close. And I would, I think, I think it was a 13 to seven game at the half. And then they capitalized on two fourth-quarter turnovers, big turnovers late in that game, one of them by Jonathan Taylor in the red zone. I think, I think uh, he fumbled it like the Illinois 18-yard line with about seven minutes to play. And then Jack Cohn threw the pick with about two and a half to go. And both of those led to Illinois scores, and that was the difference in the yeah. game. The last one was the game-winning field goal. Um, Chad, I want to kick it to you. What did you see from, from the Wisconsin-Illinois game that stood out to you? Well, we got to give Timmy props, big Sloaner. I got some sort of—he he did make that call. I think it was like he said it was early second quarter, but regardless, that was a good call. Um, <laughs> 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 but, I, <laughs> but I will say what, man? That, those Illinois, that quarterback and, and the receivers in that second half when they were mounting that comeback uh-huh. made some spectacular catches. Yeah, that, they did. I started watching probably, you know, right at the second half. And that quarterback beats real nice throws. Yeah, he And did. Those, those receivers, I mean, it, it was great. But, you know, Wisconsin, I mean, I, honestly, I don't, you know, it kind of 
I took my opinion of them a little bit down a couple notches watching it yesterday, but you know, I still feel that, you know, Buckeye fans and, and, and people should not read it into it too much because I, I, I believe they're going to come in here with a different attitude and, and different mindset. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, they're going to get over that pretty quick. I think they'll get them over you know, it pretty quick. So, yeah. But it, yeah, but Illinois looks like they should have won a couple more games. I mean, after the way they were playing you know, second half. But. Yeah. So, so Illinois quarterback, Brandon Peters, he's the a Michigan transfer, right? He, he yep. was at Michigan a couple years ago, and I actually like what I saw out of him when he was at Michigan. And I agree with you, Tim. I thought he was good. He had a couple of zo- uh, zone reads where he kept the ball for big gains. And then that touchdown to close the gap to what was it, 23-21, was a, a dart over the middle on a slant. I think that was oh, like 30 yeah. yards out. That was a big-time throw. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tim, what did you yeah, see out Peters, of that game? Peters is a- Peters is a real quarterback. I mean, I Michigan. He should be starting for Michigan. I think he's every bit as good as Shea Patterson. I agree. Um, and I think it's one of Harbaugh's failings is letting him go because he'd been in the system a couple years. And so for for me, like I think you hit the nail on the head, Zach. Like Illinois gave Nebraska a really good game. They had a chance against Michigan. And after the first quarter, when Wisconsin didn't come out and literally punched them in the face. I just said there's no Illinois at home. This is going to be a four-quarter game. It's going to be close. I didn't really think they would win, but I thought that, you know, it would be 23-20 or, you know, I thought it would be within 10 points for sure. And so, you know, it just they're playing tough. Lovey Smith, I think, is a good coach, ex-Bears coach, so I kind of got a little bit of uh, love for Lovey. Um, <laughs> love for Lovey. <laughs> and, and I love and the I think, beard Lovey's got going, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he looks like Black Santa. Um, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he's got the recruiting going. He's gotten a few big recruits in the, in the, in the last couple of years to, to go there and obviously getting the transfer out of Peters. It, 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 they're, they're coming out of the basement. Illinois is probably not going to win the West anytime soon, but uh, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be like an Indiana type that's good and has good players and is well coached and is tough and gives people problems. And, as it goes for Wisconsin, you know, we've been saying it all year. They haven't really played anybody. They, play, they played their best game against Michigan. Uh, and even there, they let Michigan kind of come back a little bit. Uh, the, the, the quarterback, even though he put up some decent stats, is pedestrian. Uh, you, you shut down Taylor. They just don't have a lot of other weapons. I, I, I don't – yeah, I, I don't I, – I, don't, I think Wisconsin is what Wisconsin always is, which is a good team for the West. And when they come play the big boys in the East, for the most part, they're, they're going to get smacked. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my basic read on it. Matt, what did you see? Did, did you watch some of that game yesterday? No, I had to save my uh, game chips for later in the day, and I wasn't <laughs> going to be wasting it on that game, which I maybe should have, given that it, was a, it turned into a close game. You know, uh, but what I, what, I, what I took away from it is simply this, is that there's two things. One, you know, whiskey, whiskey's going to, you know, nothing to humble you than to be shown the, the, where you have weak points, and, and, and especially in, in a, such a humiliating loss. Mm-hmm. So they won't, come, they won't be coming into Columbus with their chest out as much. They're going to be coming back because they want to prove that they're a top team. Uh, and that's a great fire because they can say, well, we're number six. We can beat these teams rather than like we have something to prove, which is a little bit more dangerous because they have their back against the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, what has been proven against Wisconsin is that they're awesome at home. 
and not so awesome on the road. <laughs> and unfortunately, this game is they're going to be on the road. <laughs> so yeah. I don't I think it's going to be pretty ugly because they are one dimensional and you have to have both like a high level of elite talent as well as schemes and plays and options that are just going to keep the team, the other team on their heels. And Wisconsin is certainly not that team. So I still think it's going to be a pretty big blowout, but it was very instructive to see how, you know, how uh, flawed they were. I was kind of surprised that they were that flawed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, to your point about instructive, I made a couple observations about, about the game and then that I thought, that could carry over into the Ohio State game. The first was that uh, I, I was surprised that Illinois was able to run the football with as much success as they did, especially in the second half. They started to gain some confidence, and then they, they really got into a flow offensively late in that game, and they were running the ball really well. Their running back, uh, Reggie Corbin, he looks like a J.K. Dobbins clone. And in fact, I looked up, I looked them both up, uh, uh, you know, both their, their, uh, their numbers up on uh, ESPN.com. And their profiles. Corbin is listed at 5'10, 220. Dobbins is listed at 5'10, 217. They both wear the number two. And I was watching Corbin run run all over uh, Wisconsin in the second half of that game. And I said to myself, he looks like J.K. Dobbins. You could put him in an Ohio State uniform, you know, with the number two, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So that to me uh, stood out uh, because they're going to see a much better player in Dobbins who has, you know, the exact same profile as Corbin, and he'll be running behind a much better offensive line. So uh, that doesn't bode well for Wisconsin. Um, the other thing that stood out to me is that they only had nine completions in the game, Illinois did, but they averaged almost 20 yards a completion uh, against Wisconsin. So they, were, they were completing balls down the field uh, against that Wisconsin defense. They had a 48-yarder, a 29-yarder, a 19-yarder, 18, 15, 14. Everyone who caught a pass had at least one reception of 15 yards or more. So uh, that, to me, spoke a little bit to maybe some holes in that Wisconsin defense and when you have the personnel and and the scheme to really exploit them. So I'd like to say I'm looking forward to seeing how all that uh, carries over into the Ohio State game. the other thing I, I noticed was, you know, Jonathan Taylor, 132 yards, but on 28 carries. He's your typical volume Wisconsin back, right? I mean, at first glance, the total yardage output looks impressive until you look at the volume of carries that he's getting and also the lack of explosive runs. Um, his longest run from scrimmage was only 22 yards yesterday. And last week against Sparty, it was only 13. Uh, I can't. I think they played Toledo or somebody the week before that, and he had like a 48-yarder, but you know that doesn't really count. The week before against Northwestern, he only his longest run from scrimmage was only 15 yards. So against quality defenses, he's not. A, he doesn't have a lot of explosion. He's not a home run hitting back, and I think it's going to be a long day for him next week. I, I do. I, yeah. I think he's 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 going to struggle. Um, Gee, can I uh, can I interject here of real course, quick? Because I got to roll out. Yeah, yeah, please do, man. Um, I just want to say a couple things about the Buckeyes because I know you guys are going to visit that uh, the game from Friday night. But, sure, Chad. Go ahead. I mean, just so it's it's so exciting to watch this team. But you know, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was like the third play that Fields turned in. You know, the third down that he turned into. Uh, like, you know that 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 was a just amazing play. Yeah, I think it was like a third um, and fifteen, thing, right? In, in, yeah, it was the third and fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Just like those feet of heads, man, it was amazing. Awesome. 
um, through some great passes. Um, I'll let you guys discuss that. But one of the beautiful things I saw about it, defense was great. But, you know, when I think you're seeing this team being just a, a solid unit, like we really haven't seen in a while. That entire team was out there when Hope made that field goal, man, right before half. Yeah, that was I great. I mean, Chase Young was the big – it was just so awesome to see that. <laughs> um, but – yeah, it was, it, you know, I mean, and that's, I'm telling you, that's going to play big for us down the road because they we need to see what kind of leg he's got because, you know, we get in, not looking ahead, but we get into the college football play, that type of thing. It's, you're going to need a, you're going to need a leg like that, I mm-hmm. think. So that was nice to see that. But, uh, you guys bring it home, rest away. It was good to be on with you guys. Go Bucks. All right, Chad. I'll talk to you on Wednesday or Thursday. All right. We'll check in with you later this week, man. Thanks for making the time tonight. All right. Slow my later, Joe. All right, guys. All right, so that's a good segue then. So finally, let's let's uh, why don't we get back to Friday night? Uh, Ohio State Northwestern. Uh, the Buckeyes handled their business, fifty-two to three. And actually, looking back at the predictions, Matt, you had Ohio State fifty-nine to three in your prediction. Tim, you had it forty-nine-seven bucks. I think you guys came in the closest out of everybody. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and uh, Tim, uh, you had Penn State winning 34 17. We did not see Josh Gaddis torpedo Harbaugh in the postgame. You were wrong about that, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, and, and Matt, you had the lot, you had nit, the nit, you got Nit Lions uh, final score, right? 28. You had him winning 28 17. So both you guys were uh, pretty spot on on some of this action this week. Uh, uh-huh. Matt, why don't I kick it to you, man? What did you see on Friday night out of the Buckeyes? Well, you know, the Buckeyes, the, what I like about this team is that I don't, I'm not getting nervous when they start. They come out slow in the first quarter hmm. because I know there's a storm of brewing coming in the second quarter. <laughs> uh, and before it even started, they even put a stat on there that the Bucks had scored more in the second quarter than Northwestern had scored in all the games combined, so <laughs> all their quarters. I was like, yeah, six <laughs> games. I was like, what? Um, there's a couple things that I, that really hit home for me. Was one, their third down complete, like executing on third down, mm-hmm. and, and more, most importantly, like how Fields does that, and he's the one that creates the plays. Where you see his true gift to this team is on third down mm-hmm. because he can scramble, he can run, and he got a cannon for an arm mm-hmm. uh the thing that w- that i really liked the most was the precision of before the end of halftime how they used their timeouts and how they used their play calling and how they didn't overreach and they got those three points on the board i think it's something given how everyone chad was talking about everyone's reaction i think it was because they probably practiced that drill to death Mm-hmm. And to get it down to where there's four seconds left and to score, uh, fifty and having a kicker who could do that, which plumbers right, that to having someone who can do that is a gift unto itself that will serve us so great in the future. Uh, that was the biggest thing for me. I mean, I I I like that sense of precision and play calling and discipline on all players to get it to a place where they thought that they could score and they didn't rush themselves. They didn't throw long balls. Fields threw the ball out when he seemed like he was getting near uh, sacked. Uh, so it showed all the discipline that we really wanted to see from these guys in one series and scoring on a 
field goal. And, you know, field goals like a hand job sometimes. You're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take it. But, um, um, but, uh, but, like, the way that series was put together was just pure beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the kicking game. I, I, I think it's, it's worth mentioning uh, that in addition to Hobiel's 55-yarder there at the end of the half, you got to give credit to Drew Chrisman on the on the possession before pinning Northwestern at the half-yard line. Which, oh, that's right. That's what really created that that opportunity to kick the field goal at the end of the half. And you mentioned, well, I don't know if you mentioned this. Maybe I was thinking this while you were talking, but Ohio State's second-to-last possession of the second quarter, they had the ball kind of deep in their own end. And rather than forcing, I think they had a third and long, and rather than forcing it, uh, they handed off, uh, got a modest run, and kicked the ball away, thinking, okay, we've got an opportunity to pin Northwestern deep, which is exactly what they did, get the ball back and with an opportunity to score. And then you saw just stellar special teams play, starting with, you know, uh, with Chrisman's punt, pinning him at the half-yard line, and then Habiel with the 55-yarder. That was you're talking about precision. I mean, it doesn't get more precise than that when you can be that That's precise in the game, you know? What other observations did you have about uh, initial observations you had, Matt? Uh, you know, Chase Young, they, I mean, they just, the depth of this team also, I think, came through again. It's like you're seeing people out there. I think one time, I forget what player that you said, is like, you were like, why is so-and-so out there? Yeah. And why is so-and-so out there? And, I liked also that we talked about toughness. You know, you know, uh, NPF was kind of shaky there at offensive line the first two or three series, mm -hmm. and Munford was hurt and came in just to kind of steady things, and that gave NPF some time to kind of catch his breath. And he came in there from there on out, played a great game. Mm -hmm. But also, other players came in and handled their business really, really well, both on the offensive and defensive, and uh, Master Teague. I mean, he damn near got 100 yards, too. And yeah. that 70-yard 70, 70 run, I didn't know he had wheels like that. But, yeah. man, it's just like you keep getting surprised by people that you, you're seeing on the team um, uh, who are underclassmen who don't have a lot of experience and just the level of talent and how much they can immediately contribute. And, it, it, you know, if I was any other team in the Big Ten, I would just be frightened. Yeah, because it's scary. not. it's not it's not like you're saying, well, they got, you know, you know, like for, this is an antiquated example. But yeah, the, well, they got Earl Campbell, and he's hard to tackle. It's <laughs> it's like they have so many different players that can hurt you and hurt you bad that uh, it it makes them a hard team to get to get uh, to to prepare for. Yeah, yeah. It was another family reunion game yesterday, uh, Matt, as you like to call <laughs> them. Yeah, uh, Tim, what did you see uh, on Friday night that really stood out to you? Well, I mean, I, well, all the things Matt said, I agree with all that with respect to the game. But I, I, what I feel like when I watch a game like against Northwestern and it ends up 52-3 to three is, is you know, particularly if you look back over the last two or three years for Ohio State, like how many games did they have against like a Northwestern or, you know, so, some team that they should crush, but that they ended up beating, you know, beating but not beating the way that they should. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know where that sort of came from especially with the intensity of Urban Meyer as a coach but it just it just happened uh, and so I've been very happy this year to see Ohio State doing what Ohio State should do against teams like Northwestern. Northwestern's not a bad team uh, but Ohio State should beat them 52 to 3 
Yeah. Um, that's how much better they are than that. Uh, and so, you know, the, the focus and the, the toughness as we talked about and just the, you know, as Matt said too, the depth of this team uh, all to me points towards, you know, Ohio State being able to get through the Big Ten schedule and get themselves into the playoff. You need depth. You need intensity. You need that toughness. And I don't know why the team didn't have it for the last few years, but in spite of the fact that, you know, this game was over, you know, and really in the first quarter, um, you know, Ohio State kept the intensity and won the way that they should have won. Guys didn't mail it in. So that's that's one big concept that I have really liked, and it's continued with Northwestern. The other one, and, you know, this is a bit of a broken record, but Justin Fields is quickly becoming one of the best players Ohio State has had in the last two decades. I agree with that. Uh, if he can, if he continues on this trajectory, particularly at the position of quarterback, where we haven't seen anybody like this really probably since like Troy Smith, and even even yeah. you know Troy Smith, I think Justin Fields is probably gonna gonna be better than Troy Smith ultimately was. Um, I, I just think he's the difference. I think Ohio State's a great team, but again, if you look back over the last handful of years, you know, Haskins was amazing thrower, but couldn't run, and that, you know, had its issues with the offense in terms of it being a little bit one-dimensional. Barrett, we've talked about, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, like, you just keep going, and we've, we haven't had quarterbacks that have been able to do all the things that Justin Fields is doing, um, and I don't know, Zach, I know you saw it because you get them, but... You know, Doug Marie sent out that that text about you know running into Justin Fields' father. Yeah, I saw that. And his fa- his father having kind of like a Cheshire Cat grin, basically <laughs> saying saying, "Hey, you didn't think my kid was ready, but I knew he was." And Justin Fields was ready for this year when he came here. It's probably yeah. why he came here, and he's proving it. He's he's ready. He's ready for the big stage. The guy's ready to take this team to the playoffs and. You know, short of him getting injured, I think that's that's where it's headed, and I think he's the difference. I think if you put an average quarterback or even a decent quarterback with this team, um, I think that there'd be more trouble than we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, if it were Tate Martell, uh, if he were the quarterback, right, yep. right, and you get that yep. sense of confidence. Like I don't think I've had that sense of confidence in a quarterback. I mean, since what Belisari? Just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I mean like. <laughs> But like even Troy Smith, I was you know there was something that was he was very great about him. But I mean, like there was like this guy just inspires like so much confidence. Like I don't worry about his. He's not impulsive. He doesn't make rash decisions, mm-hmm. and he and he doesn't use what he doesn't seem like he leans on one uh, trait as a crutch. Like he doesn't he he uses his whole toolbox. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think Tim's hundred right. He could go down as like the best quarterback. Yeah. I mean, if you compare him to Schleister, who is pro would you probably say he's on top of, you know, Ohio yeah. state. He played four years model. too. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, it's, you're going to have to be talking about those two together with Troy Smith and seeing which one. And so the, but this kid is just, doing all the right things and every game he's just getting a little bit better yeah he's completing 71 percent of his passes uh he's uh, got 22 touchdown passes only one interception i guess if you want to you want to nitpick sometimes he hangs onto the ball a little too long but you know what and 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 uh you know tim doug marie has said this a couple of times he likes the fact he likes playmaking justin fields he likes the justin fields who 
takes a you know takes a couple risks and hangs onto the ball and a little bit longer to to try and make a play downfield. I think you live with the sacks because what you get is a guy who, for the most part, is going to find his way out of pressure, find his way out of sticky situations more often than not, and he's going to make a play for you down down the field. Chad made reference to it before he had to go. It was a third and 15 against Northwestern, and they had the play diagnosed perfectly. They had a good coverage. They got pressure on him. They flushed him out of the pocket. Even one of their defensive linemen had a shot at Fields, and Fields shook him off, and uh, he finds K.J. Hill for 20 yards downfield. I mean, that's just demoralizing. It's demoralizing if you're a defense, and, and that's something that you cannot prepare for. If, if you're a defensive coordinator, that's something, there's no way you can simulate that in practice. There's no way you can prepare for that. And there's only a handful of programs that have a quarterback like that. And not coincidentally, they're, you know, among the five or six best teams in, in the country. Um, Tim, did you have any other observations you wanted to share about the, about the game before I, before I go? No, the, that was it. Those are my, those are my two big takeaways. It was a great game all around, and, and you know Matt pointed out the in-game stuff that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it, taking a step back, the bigger picture of sort of how this team has played against these types of teams this year, and how well Justin Fields has done, or you know continues to do, are my big takeaways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last year, it, and we made we, we talked about this, uh, I think, on last Sunday's pod. Uh, you had teams like Minnesota, Indiana, Nebraska come into the shoe last year and play Ohio State well into the fourth quarter. There was the debacle at Purdue where we never showed up uh, for that game. We never answered the bell. And then the Maryland game, which, which was, a, I mean, it was, a, it was a, an abomination. I mean, we should have lost that game. And those are, those are programs that are several notches below Ohio State. Those should never be games. So to your point, yeah, uh, those opponents on this year's schedule have been, you know, put out of their misery uh, mid-second quarter, and by halftime the game's over. Um, I, I saw an interesting comment by uh, Jonah Booker, who's one of the Bucknuts guys, on um, on Twitter on Friday night. He called Chris Olave Terry Glenn Light, which I thought was interesting. He he, he does. I, I don't think he has. Uh, I'm not sure that he has Terry Glenn's like top end speed, but he does have. Uh, he runs clean, efficient routes. He's smooth. He's got great hands. Um, I thought that was an interesting comparison, and, and Olave looked really good. Um, you know, in what three quarters of action against Northwestern, he had he had a couple of nice touchdown catches, especially the one in the corner of the end zone, and what was a gorgeous throw from from Fields. You know, getting both feet down. I mean, that's a touchdown in the NFL. Um, you know, some fans were concerned about the success Northwestern had running the ball early in the game, and uh, I thought Ohio State made some good adjustments there. Namely, to me, it looked like. Uh, Northwestern success running the ball ended when they put when they moved Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett into the the middle of that uh, defensive line. Uh, those are their space eaters. I think when they want to go run stuffer mode, they bring in Togiai and Haskell Garrett, and that's that again that speaks to the versatility, the depth of what they can do in a bunch of different areas, but especially on that defensive line. Uh, when Togiai and Haskell Garrett came in there, I think they put an end to that that uh, that Northwestern uh, running game. Northwestern finished with 157 yards uh, rushing. I think that might be the highest uh, uh, output that any opponent has had this year, total output, but they only averaged 3.3 yards a carry. So I don't know. Ohio State fans probably don't need to be that concerned. Um, And 
I think that's uh, well. There was one other. There was one other uh, remark I'll make, and it's a it's another Doug Marie observation, which I thought was really interesting in their post game pod. He called Ohio State boring awesome, which is just, you know, w- what else can you say about them, right? I mean, I think the three of us doing this podcast today, it's like we could talk about, you know, all the things we saw on set on Friday night, but it would really just be kind of regurgitating what we've seen through the previous six games, right? I mean, they're, they are kind of, they haven't left us much to talk about. Um, yeah, that's like, I, I yeah. call that quote, stupid, smart, whatever. I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, you, you know, the, I don't, there's nothing boring about this team on either side of the ball. I, I mean, that's true. It's just, I don't think, yeah, it's, they're, they're predictable in that they aren't making a lot of mistakes. Right. Uh, I don't know why you would want that on your team to see that as a, I don't know what type of entertainment he likes on the side, but it's, <laughs> it's like, this is the type of football, honest, honestly, that I've been waiting for this team to play. And yeah, it's finally yeah. here. Yeah, you're right. Well, he's not a fan, right? He's a, a, an objective journalist. I think he just wants something juicy to report on. So I kind of see where he's coming from, but I'm with you. I mean, this team is anything but boring. I mean, there are explosive plays all over the place. Um, that you've skill and a depth of talent that's a lot of fun to watch. NFL talent all over the place. Um, I mean, they're they're a fun team to watch for sure. Um, what else? I was gonna, oh, there was one other thing I was going to say about about the Northwestern performance, and that was J.K. Dobbins, and and then and then watching Jonathan Taylor, you know, on Saturday, it, I, you just know it's coming because these these postseason awards are political, and you know. Voters don't want to give all the love to just one team, but you know Jonathan Taylor is going to end up ahead of J.K. Dobbins in whatever Player of the Year rankings or you know first team votes. Um, but I mean, Dobbins, I think, has clearly separated himself from from Taylor as a running back. I think he is shown to he has shown to be the much better back, uh, in my opinion. I mean, you saw it on you saw it on Friday night, right? He caught a you know, he had a 68-yard touchdown run and then, you know, followed that up. Or it wasn't a touchdown, it was a long run and then and followed it up with a touchdown run after that. And then he caught that slant over the middle for a touchdown. He's, you know, he's breaking off big runs almost every single week. And as I had said previously about Taylor, I mean, you know, 15, 20-yard runs from scrimmage are all he's really putting out. And, you know, he's getting a much higher volume of carries than Dobbins. But you know what's going to happen, right? At the end of the year, the voters are going to vote Jonathan Taylor like, Offensive Player of the Year or something. I drives me nuts. Those those uh, awards. Uh, do we have any other uh, any other comments on Ohio State Northwestern? Anything else you guys want to share? Not. I mean, what you said about Dobbins. I mean, he just put in such a great effort. I mean, they were doing a good job containing him for like two to three yards in the first quarter, and then you know he started it seemed like he took the fight to them a little bit more and started muscling his way through there and using his speed and mm-hmm. using cut and cutting a little, with a little bit more authority uh yeah yeah he's i mean look you know he won't he won't win an award and probably day won't win coach of the year if we go undefeated it's fine as long as we're lifting the tr- that main trophy at the end of the year i'll take that over all this other shit <laughs> me too yeah yeah uh there was a couple other uh a couple interesting um, tidbits, I guess, that since since last night, Ohio State jumped Clemson in the AP poll, so they're now uh, number three, for whatever that's worth. 
Um, and then I don't know if you caught any of that Alabama game yesterday, guys, but Tua Tungavailoa went down. Another high ankle sprain for him, only it's the other leg. It's his right leg, and it sounds like he's going to miss like another three or four weeks. He might even miss that LSU game. I guess the only the only reason I bring that up is it just feels like, you know, you look at the way Clemson's been playing. They They look very much like the 2015 Ohio State team, right? They've kind of mailed it in every single week. The door is wide open for Ohio State to win a national title this year. I just feel like, you know, obviously they're going to have to sustain it for another, you know, two and a half months. But the door is wide open for them to get a title this year. I really believe that. Yeah, I I definitely feel that way, Zach. Um, You know, certainly Clemson's got an easy road. You could argue Ohio State's got a fairly easy road. Yeah, they have to play Wisconsin and Penn State, and of course everyone has a rivalry game, so it's there. But I think the way Ohio State's playing, to your point, I think it's it's completely doable and completely within their control. I think Ohio State plays Ohio State's ball. They win. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, can somebody get them out of playing their game? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to date, you know that that hasn't really happened. Uh, and you know it's hard to it's hard, hard to really say. You know, I was thinking about it last night, and I'll give props to Paige. You know, we did our mid-season predictions of what you thought the hardest game was going to be, and he's the only one that said Michigan. And I'm kind of coming around to that. Uh, after what I saw last night, you know, you could see Michigan maybe getting a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, if they found something in the second half. And, and, you know, Ohio State has everything on the line having to go to Ann Arbor. Yeah. That'll, that'll, that'll be tough. That'll be a tough game, even if Michigan isn't, you know, the – typical Michigan team um you know I think their pressure will be so great at that point if Ohio State is undefeated and let's say Michigan is whatever you know seven and four um it 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 just it sets up for a, a tough game and that could be the one thing that takes them out of being Ohio State um is 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 the stage being so big all right define tough game (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look, I, I hear you. I don't, I don't think Michigan is very good. Um, but as we've seen, like that game, it's just, it's just always, you know, more pressure, more stress, sort of more everything. Um, Fields hasn't been to Ann Arbor before. Maybe that's good. Maybe the fact that he didn't grow up in Ohio and hasn't thought about that rivalry his whole life, maybe that's a good thing. He just goes up there and treats it like another game. Always? Well, how how did was it always a tough game? Was it last year? Was that a tough game? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the 2016 game was Usually. pretty harrowing. Yeah, I mean, there have been some. The 2013 game that was you know that was way too close for comfort. I think Michigan's going to have to do something about. And you know, once you see these trends develop, they're really hard to reverse, uh, especially this late in the season. But the the slow starts in big games, the mental mistakes the turnovers, the lack of execution. I mean, if Penn State and Wisconsin are feasting on that with Michigan, imagine what this Ohio State team is going to do because they leave you no margin for error whatsoever. And I, I guess I'd have to see how the rest of the season goes with Michigan. I actually had agreed with Paige, Tim, that I thought Michigan was their, their, their toughest remaining game on the schedule, primarily because it fell right after Penn State. But watching yesterday, watch him do it again in a big game now granted they'll be at home but just you know 20 what you give up a, a three touchdown four touchdown lead and you're down you know th- three or four touchdowns to start a game that's a trend they're going to have to reverse 
between now and when they play Ohio State. I don't think it's all of a sudden going to happen, you know, on November 30th, you know, in, in the big house against Ohio State. I think they have to figure that shit out between now and then, maybe as soon as Notre Dame next week. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's the one thing that they could happen, and it's something that I thought about last night. If Ohio State starts slow or, you know, first quarter they, don't, they look sluggish, and they're like, well, that's okay. Your second quarter is when we turn it on. And they don't turn it on. And then we go into halftime, it's 14-7. Mm-hmm. You know, how will they adjust to that? Because they've come to where, okay, second quarter is when we show what we got. Yeah. And if they can't do that, like like depending on that second quarter to, you know, to really get them to, to increase the spread and it doesn't happen. And they go in like the halftime going like, oh, shit, man, we can't, we, did, we tried to turn it on and we didn't get anywhere. Yeah. And then, like, they, they start getting inside their own heads, like, okay. And it starts to become less about Ohio State versus Michigan than, than Ohio State versus Ohio State. And it, that's when I think that's the only way I can see them kind of losing that game is if they turn, they start doubting or they start getting desperate or they start panicking because they're not doing the things that they usually do and or they do and it's not working. I mean, it, it almost, it seems like almost every national championship run has at least one game like that no matter how good the team is you're going to have a moment where you just didn't bring your a game and the opposition did and you're fighting for your life in the fourth quarter it just feels like you know it it happens i mean it happens with every team on a title run either they lose that game and can fight their way back into the the title discussion or they eke it out um so i I'd just be surprised if that moment doesn't come um, by the end of the season, even knowing how much better Ohio State has looked compared to everybody left on their schedule. But I guess we'll see, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see how they respond in that moment. If it doesn't come in the regular season, you would think it most assuredly would come in, in the postseason somewhere. Um, yeah. Well, guys, uh, what else? Uh, is there anything else we want to cover before we – we're coming up on about 55 minutes. Not a bad effort for a Sunday. We were a little short-staffed today. Anything else you guys want to mention before we um, we shut it down? Yeah. Would, it, no. would you would you think missing a podcast, going to see a big mound of sand, is is a worthwhile showing your dedication to the podcast? I, I mean, sand, uh, sand, a bit, a mound of sand over talking with your buddies about the Great Ohio State football team. Well, here's a better like, question. I think this is a better question that. <laughs> Uh, is it, what's what's a better excuse for missing a podcast? Is it being too hungover, uh, or being <laughs> hanging out in the sand dunes? Because there's somebody on this podcast who's used both excuses. I can't rem- what I, what's his name? I can't remember that guy's name anyway. But yeah, st- uh, we, we, we got Kirk. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start calling him Van Rutgers because he's not showing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, our friend Paige. Well, hopefully he'll show up uh, this Thursday to uh, to defend his uh, reputation. Um, all right. Hey, guys, listen, it's been a great effort. Thanks so much for making the time on a Sunday. Um, we will reconvene later this week either. I think it's probably going to be on Thursday. We'll work it out, and uh, we'll, we'll come up with Wisconsin, Wisconsin predictions. All right. Go all right. Bucks. All right, fellas. Go Bucks. Thanks, Have guys. a good night. <laughs>